such a great joy to be speaking after a baptism. It's always a delight to be at a baptismal service and uh, such an encouragement just to listen to all three of those testimonies. Um, it's quite moving really when you, you know, when you sort of involved them. I'm one of the leaders here in case you're a visitor. John Gross is my name, one of the leaders here. But I, you know, just you see people, I, I don't know all the backstories or didn't till this morning know, know that much for some, but just to see the fruit of friendships um, in God, you know, the, the Gillen family there with one and the cat work and you just feel so grateful to God for his grace working out there, Alpha Course playing. It's all woven together. It's not just one thing. It's a, it's a, a church family reaching out and trying and endeavouring and succeeding to bring the good news about Jesus and the love of God to people in our day and our generation and our town. So it's very exciting. It's always a joy to speak on the back of that. And I'm actually going to be speaking into the last of our series, Hear My Voice. And it's um, appropriate for the baptism. It's appropriate for the time of year. Uh, we're actually not going to be looking at Malachi, which if you're a member of this church and been coming regularly recently, you know that we, the Hear My Voice series has taken us through the book of Malachi, which is the last book of the Old Testament. And actually that's true chronologically as well as physically the last book in, uh, in our Old Testament. So it really was the last part of the Old Testament where God spoke directly through a prophet. And uh, we're now moving to the New Testament. And we're going to be speaking, I'm going to be speaking under the title, God Breaks His Silence. And we're going to the first book of the New Testament, to Matthew. And not only is it the first of the New Testament, it's, it's the first place where we're recording what God said after a long gap. So Malachi was the last of the Old Testament prophets. God was speaking very powerfully, very directly through the words there as we've been hearing. And now we come to what's a familiar story, but I don't want it to be over-familiar, come to this incident in the New Testament, as we call it. Matthew 1, and we're going to read from verses 18 to 25. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. <clears throat> but after he had considered this, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. Well, as I was saying, the book of Malachi was the last of the Old Testament prophets, last chronologically as well as last in, in our book. And f following 
Malachi's time, when he brought the word of the Lord very clearly and directly, there was nothing more heard from heaven. No prophet, no angel, no voice from heaven to anyone. And it was a long period of silence. It was a long gap. Roughly 450 years. That's a long time. That's the gap between when Elizabeth I was reigning and our queen, Elizabeth II. It's the gap between the Spanish Armada and Brexit. So some things don't change much. We're still struggling with with our relationship with mainland Europe. We haven't resolved that 450 years later. But it is a long gap. It was a long period of silence. Then after 450 years, God speaks, and he speaks into a very interesting, actually fascinating situation. It's actually very simple, very ordinary, the context in which God speaks. And despite 2,000 years of distance from it, 2,000 years and a lot of cultural differences, actually I think we can relate quite well or quite easily to the context in which God spoke. Let's, let's sort of get into it a bit, and I'll, 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 I hope you'll come with me on this. The situation is a small town, Nazareth, and it's in a small country, rather unimportant country, in the vast Roman Empire. And two ordinary young people are planning to get married. We can relate to that. They aren't very rich, but they're not the poorest of the poor. The young man is the village carpenter. They're both respectable they're both clearly God-fearing and follow through on all the requirements of their Jewish faith and they worship God and have great reverence for him. But right now, they are tussling with an awful dilemma. They're engaged to be married according to the customs of their day. And what that means is that they probably didn't know each other very well. They obviously do like each other, They probably have met, but in very controlled circumstances. They haven't had much time together, not much private time anyway. And they both absolutely know they haven't had sex together. Now, you need to hear all that because it's a very different culture in one way. Hopefully not different for everyone. But these two have barely had time one-to-one probably. And they know that they have not had any sexual relations But one day, the girl, Mary, manages to communicate with the fiancé, Joseph. Possibly they do get a brief time together, or maybe it's a message, or some way she gets through, that she is pregnant and expecting a child. Now, he and she both know that he isn't the father. She knows something else, that she has never, ever had sex with any other man. And that this is a result of her own encounter with God, with the Holy Spirit, and with an angel, Gabriel. And you can read her side of the story, and it is her side of the story, by the way. Luke 1, verses 26 to 38. Read it. It really is known, pretty effectively we know, that Luke got a lot of his information from Mary later. So you hear her side in Luke 1. But this is sort of Joseph's side. I I think it's natural to assume that Mary tried to explain to Joseph with the limited opportunity she had what had happened. 
But I don't think it's unreasonable to think Joseph found it rather hard to believe. They were a little less educated in those days, but I think most of them knew where babies came from. And he would have certainly known how a lady or woman got pregnant. Now, he's a kind man, he's an honourable man, and he's a godly man. And as we join the story, he is trying to think of the best, or perhaps the least worst, way to deal with this. The least worst way to deal with it. Because he's actually got several options. At one extreme, he could publicly denounce Mary. And that could even result in her being stoned to death for adultery. Why adultery, you say? Well, they are betrothed to each other. And according to the customs of that time, that was pledged to be married was a contract, was a nuptial contract. And in actual fact, probably already, indeed normally already, a bride price has been paid and a dowry Uh, That would have been by the fiancé, the husband, prospective husband. And a dowry had already been given to him by uh, the family of Mary. So all of that sort of thing would have gone on. So if he publicly denounces her, she could be stoned to death. Or at the very least, she would be completely ostracized. She would be completely shamed and vilified. Probably no hope of future marriage, possible prostitution, the only future for her. At the other end of the scale... He could go for the quiet, private divorce. And it is a divorce. It does have to be a legal process. And that option spares Mary the shame, but it does have a cost for Joseph. It would deny him any right to keep the bride price, and it would deny him any right, sorry, to keep the dowry or to get the bride price back. So you don't get any, which you would do the other ways. But, you know, so it's a big loss, And there's a little hint of shame about it because why is it so quiet, etc. What he's not considering, and he won't consider at this stage, is the option of marrying Mary. Why not? Because if he marries her, the obvious implication is that he's the father and that he has violated her virginity inappropriately before their marriage. So actually, if he marries her, the shame factor focuses on him more than Mary. Because he's doing it to cover up his sin would be the the gossip social implication. Which it's worth remembering, given how the story ends and what he does. Joseph takes on that and is sometimes the unsung hero of the Christmas story. Because people would not have thought anything noble was going on. They'd have made all sorts of, drawn all sorts of conclusions. Well, as he's tossing around this dilemma, what he can do, going for his least worst option... God speaks to him. And what God says is amazing. And this is God speaking after 450 years. And God speaks to him. And God says, Joseph, son of David, Mary's telling you the truth. I did it. I made her pregnant. The Holy Spirit came on her. You needn't be afraid to take her as your wife because there's real fear in that factor. And then he goes on to the key message. She will give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And Matthew, the writer of the gospel, immediately explains that this harmonized with another word from the Lord, which was much more ancient through Isaiah, which now comes with new power and new application. 
uh, where the Lord said, a virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So when God does speak after 450 years, it's a very unusual thing, a very ordinary situation. Not an Elijah-type figure, not an Isaiah-type figure, not a great king, not a David. This thing I've laid out to you, a very small domestic situation, two honorable people, but God speaks straight into it with an amazing word that I am giving you the privilege of bearing my son into this world and being his parents. And actually behind that is an announcement from heaven. This is the great moment that all the other prophets have been looking for. This is the linchpin of history. This is where things will change. I am sending you my son, Jesus, Emmanuel. So God's word to the world was a person. It was a word incarnate. When God spoke after those 450 years, it wasn't the same as Malachi and Isaiah. It wasn't a prophet coming with something here, there, and everywhere. It was very different. It was the word manifest. God's word to the world was a person. Let's read a few verses from Hebrews. Just follow me with these. The first three verses of Hebrews. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Can you just leave that, those verses up for a moment? I want to say something out from them. What Mary was carrying in her womb was this. God spoke through his son, by his son. Now, the phrasing there in those verses in Hebrews 1, by his son, is obviously a translation of the Greek. Now, the the original language would be, God spoke to us in son. Now, you say, why are you saying that? Well, I think it's quite important. God spoke to us in son. A better translation or a, a more true reflection of it would be, God spoke to us in the son revelation. Paraphrase. This is not saying it's just the words Jesus brought. He was another prophet, a great prophet, even greater than all the other prophets. And what he taught and what he said was outstanding, which of course it was. And this was just another extraordinary prophet who brought even more extraordinary words from God. That's not who Jesus is. He is the Word made manifest, He is God made manifest. God, he is the Son revelation. God spoke in Son. It's powerful and it's wonderful. It's in John 1, verse 14, which we sometimes read at Christmas time. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The climax of all the Old Testament revelations, all the words we've looked at, we've looked at Isaiah and Malachi in recent years, all those amazing words, the climax was this moment when Jesus comes. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Word made manifest. Now, The Old Testament stretches over hundreds and hundreds of years in writing. In other words, from Genesis to Malachi, you're covering hundreds of years, all different people speaking in different ways, bringing increasing revelation of God. 
We must never think that the New Testament is just the follow-up. It's just another lot of things and people speaking things from God. And, and, then, and then, you know, oh, we stopped after a few years and uh, why can't we have some more uh, Bible now? That's the thinking behind lots of things like the Koran or the Book of Mormon and others. You know, and other prophets will come. Muhammad's a prophet. Uh, Joseph Smith's a prophet. And they bring words from God. No, no, no. Jesus was not just another prophet. He was the Word made manifest. The New Testament is a set of writings congregated around Jesus, clustered around Jesus. They're only about him, what he did, and explaining it and establishing it in that first era when Jesus went back to heaven. They are deliberately and definitely and authentically can only be books around Jesus. We don't need any more books after then. It's finished. No more books will come. God's not speaking through a book. He's speaking through a person. The book tells us a bit about the person, and the Holy Spirit picks it up and helps us, but you don't need a book. You need Jesus. You need a person. God has spoken. God's spoken in the past through the prophets in many times, various ways, but in these last days, he's spoken in son. Jesus is what it's all about. In the Son revelation, we don't need another set of books. We don't need another prophet uh, to bring us more revelation. That's wrong. That's false prophets. We need to meet Jesus and to know him. In these last days, God has spoken to us by his Son. Okay, so what's he saying And where's this going to be relevant to you? So let's just go in our minds at least back to our our, uh, Matthew passage. What is God saying when he speaks through this person, Jesus? Well, there's two things that come out in the verses we read. The Lord said, you are to give him the name Jesus. And then there's a reference. The Lord said, they will call him Emmanuel. And these two names are vital, and they are so important to understand. They're where I will focus the next few minutes, and they're where it becomes very relevant to every one of us in this room. What is God saying? Let's look at the name Jesus. Jesus. Jesus means the Lord saves. Now, actually, it wasn't a name unique to Jesus of Nazareth. It was a name that was used sometimes for Jewish boys at that time. And generally, the reason it was used was a hope that God would come and set his people free, that God would come and get rid of the Romans or whatever other oppressive regime there had been. over. You know, it was a sort of like, we hope God's going to come and set us free and save us. But here, when God speaks and says, yes, you call him Jesus, which means the Lord saves, there is a particular reason. Because he will save his people from their sins. God says, I am sending an answer to the real problem in this world. Now, I I don't know how to say this forcefully enough, and I must be careful. This is the real problem. It's not Brexit. It's not the confusion of gender. It's not wars. It's not famines. It's not the real problem is sin. All these other things come out of that. 
Now, you say, well, sin, that's been an old-fashioned word. All right, if it's an old-fashioned word, let me try and explain it to you. What the Bible means is that in the heart of every one of us, there are fatal flaws. It's not that everything we do is wrong. Of course it isn't. People do some amazing, noble, wonderful things which reflect our image of God that's still there. But somehow, everything is tainted. Everything's polluted. It's like there's pollution in the reservoir, and it gets in all the water system. And however gold and shiny the taps are, there's something wrong with the water when it comes out of the taps. That's what sin is. It's things like selfishness, greed, pride, lust, hatred, envy. And it poisons us all. Now, sometimes it manifests in a gross breakout, hatred and violence. Sometimes it's much more subtle and suppressed and polite and, and, and socially restrained. But underneath the problem is the human heart. And it's a problem we've all got. It's the problem of sin. Now, this is not how we were made. We were not made. The first thing this has done, fundamentally the first thing, is disrupted our relationship with God. So we're all struggling to know God. Naturally speaking, it's like clouds in the sky. We can't see the sun. There's something there. It's our sin, and it's cut us off from our Creator and Father in heaven. That's a big problem. But out from that, it's caused problems between us. Man to man, woman to woman, woman to man. It, yeah, we know everything, again, we do is bad, but it's all a bit twisted and spoiled. Even sometimes the best of us find that. We often find we can't live up to our own standards, let alone God's standards. I think most people in their honest moments would say, I don't, I'm not really thrilled with myself. The good things I want to do, I can't do. Not all the time. I can't even live up to my standards. I think many people would say that, let alone God's standards. So sin is a problem. It's almost like a living thing that spoils and destroys both our relationship with God, our relationship with one another, and even our inner peace and our inner stability is genuinely subject to that and spoilt by it. It is humanity's big problem, the deadly disease that will kill us all. And Jesus came to save us from our sins. Look at these verses in John's Gospel, John 3, verse 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. I mean, just let that soak in. Let it blow away all the nonsense you hear about God's attitude and he's horrible and all. Let, hear the truth. God did not send his son. That's what we're remembering at Christmas. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. But the only way you can be saved is through him. The only answer for the world is through him. We won't save anybody any other way. Now, there are all sorts of benefits we want to see. We want to see people. I don't want people starving. I don't want people violence. I don't want all the rest of it. Of course, I'm interested in that. But the fundamental problem is our sin problem. And that's what we need saving from. And that's what God has provided an answer for in Jesus. And it starts with you and me. And it starts in here and works out. And the more people come to know Jesus, the better it will be for any culture, any city, any society. The best thing for Britain is that as many people as possible come to know Jesus. Amen. That's my fundamental belief. 
And I don't mind which church it's in or who the preacher is as long as it's the real gospel and it's Jesus they meet. I just want millions of people to know Jesus. In fact, I would like every living soul in my nation to know Jesus. Honestly mean it. Because it's the only answer for their problems and it's the only answer for my culture's problems. Now, it'll work out in all sorts of ways, beneficially, but in the end, we all need Jesus. God has sent an answer to save the world through him. Spurgeon, a great old Victorian preacher, I love him, and he puts it so well. The first link between my soul and Christ is not my goodness, but my badness. Not my merit, but my misery. Not my standing, but my falling. Not my riches, but my need. He comes to visit his people, not to admire their beauties, but to remove their deformities. Not to reward their virtues, but to forgive their sins. And until you get that, you'll always struggle with the Christian gospel. It's not about making you more virtuous, making you better, rewarding your virtues. It's about forgiving your sins. That's where it starts, isn't it? It's not about your merits, it's about your misery. That's why I love this way. I, I, wish, you know, I wish I could think of it myself, but I have to give him... I almost was tempted. I think, why do I need to quote it? I'll just say it. I thought, no, I must be honest. Honestly, I did go through that. But it's, it's true. It's true. It's not your merits, it's your misery. Honestly, that's what he's come to deal with. To say, Jesus came to die and save us from our sins. Came to be our saviour. And no matter how good we are, we need saving. And we need improving, but it's not an improvement policy. We need changing, that's a better word, and, and delivering from the power of sin, as well as the penalty of sin. It has a penalty. We'll perish. We'll be separated from God forever if we don't solve this out. We're already separated from him. We're already under condemnation. We need that dealt with. And hallelujah, there is an answer in Jesus. Let's hurry on to the other name. The other name is Emmanuel. Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. Fortunately, they tell us that in the Bible. It's there in the little brackets, an editorial comment. Make sure you get it. Means God with us. Now, this tells us something about who Jesus is. The first name tells us what he came to do, his, his job, if you like. He came to save us from our sins. This tells us a bit more about who he is. He is God with us. God with us. That's amazing. It's an amazing mystery, but it's a wonderful one. Jesus was flesh and blood. This is why the virgin birth is so important. We should never give in on it. Because he was born of Mary, he started as just those little cluster of cells engendered by the Holy Spirit, which is also important. We'll get to that in a moment. But he was a true human being. He was a man in every sense. He had all the limitations and challenges and joys, I suppose, as well, of being human flesh and blood. But his origins were different from anybody else. Instead of a a man being involved, a normal man, the Holy Spirit did something. It's almost like a second Adam, a second fresh start. And so he didn't come with the bias to sin. The one thing different between him and you and me was he didn't have the pollution in the tank that we all have. It's like he had a clean tank of water at the center of his being, 
So that wasn't going to be happening, that the sin would be there from the beginning, polluting everything. That's why the virgin birth is so important. But Jesus lived as a man, and therefore he fully understands what it's like to live in this world. He understands what it's like to be tired, to hurt, to be, to, 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 to be let down by friends, to be hungry, to be uh, hot and thirsty and all sorts of things. You've only got to read the Gospels. And you see, he understands what it is to be a human being. But because he's God and who he is, he's got the power and the authority to deal with the problems that humanity has, our sins and our griefs. He bore them in his own body on the cross. He bore what we, what's wrong with us, he was able to deal with. But he's also able to understand us. And that is magnificent for the situation now when you're a Christian. Because you know there's someone who's not only saved you, but understands you and knows what it's like. We are his brethren, his brothers and sisters. We're his family. He knows what it's like. He knows our frailty. He understands it. And yet, because of who he is, he's been able to deal with the problem and bring help to us now. Let's look at another verse, because it it puts it so well. This is 2 Corinthians 5, 18 to 19. Last verse I want you to look at. All this, this is further into the New Testament, and it's, it's writing about the gospel that I'm talking to you about. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. That is amazing. Just let that phrase catch you. God... God was solving the problem himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he's committed to us, this is Paul writing to Christians, he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. You can be reconciled to God. Whoever you are, whatever you've done, whoever, honestly, whoever you are, whatever you've done, I am not in hyperbole, I'm in fact... Whoever you are, whatever you've done, you can be reconciled to God. You can know God personally as your Father in heaven. You can be at peace with God. Isn't that amazing? Through the blood of Jesus, you can have peace with God. What a privilege. Peace with God every morning, every day. I'm at peace with God. Whatever's going on around me may not be a very peaceful day, but I'm at peace with God. And that's the starting point for solving some of the other problems that come up. Amen. It is amen. Well, I'm at peace with God. It's true. I'm glad somebody agrees with me. Thank you, Phoebe. I love it, by the way. I'm at peace with God. It's glorious. I mean, it really is good news. (laughs) I mean, come on. It's good news. And it's available, yes it is. And it's available for every one of us. If you here this morning don't know God as your saviour, don't know him as your heavenly father, don't quite get what I'm talking about, you can be reconciled to God. I'll, I'll help you at the end. And if you have half a desire, follow it. And let's see where it goes. Because you'll never regret, like these people who are baptised, you'll never regret making those first steps. You really won't. Stuart doesn't regret it. Amber doesn't regret it. Sasha doesn't regret it. You heard their stories. Maybe the first step for you this morning, I hope it's a bit more than the first step. I hope you make, them, make the decision and follow Jesus. We'll get there in a couple of minutes. So our saviour is Emmanuel. An actual fact, 
the God with us bit doesn't really just stop with who Jesus is, in the sense that he is, like we've seen, God with us. He was God manifest in the flesh. It sort of goes on into your experience as a Christian. Being a Christian, being involved with God, is on a totally different level to the old thinking about religion. You see, the old, I've, I mustn't get into this too much, but the old thing I talked about at the beginning of this morning, that the old, even the Old Testament, there was this words from God, you responded to words from God, often failed to keep them, blah, 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 more words from God, do this, do that. And some of it was good stuff, and it was, all oh, that went, goes on and on. And actually, some people make religion like that now, you see. And I've referred to a couple of examples with Mormons and, and, and Muslims, but I could refer to many others. So we're looking for a code of ethics. We're looking for words from God, whoever the God is we're talking about. And this is telling me things I've got to do. I try and do them, some success, some failure, words from God to correct me. That's not how it works. Jesus has come, and in all your mess and failure, loves you and died for you. You don't have to do a thing other than accept him as your Lord and Saviour. You don't. And that's, that. if you needed proof, you read in the Gospels about the first person saved in this era, and that's the thief on the cross next to Jesus. Just read it. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Today you'll be with me in paradise. What's he have time to do? Nothing. He puts faith in Jesus. And it's the same for you. Now, when you don't die, hopefully, within an hour or two of putting your life in Jesus, like he did, but when he comes into you, he begins to change you from the inside out. The Holy Spirit, he is with you. That's the God with us bit. It doesn't just stop with the message. God is now with you. He's cleaned you up. You are righteous in him. And so the Holy Spirit can come and live in you. And the Spirit of Christ is in you, and God is with you. He promised, I will never leave you or forsake you. I'm going to be with you to the end of the age. Uh, all sorts of things come tumbling out. You know, your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. Your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. You're one spirit with the Lord. These are things written in the New Testament all around the truth I've been talking about. They're telling you this is what it means. Got it? God's with you. This morning, He's with you. The Holy Spirit's in you. God's with you. What's with us? We don't have to pull him down from heaven or go crawling on our bare knees up some mountain. He's with us now. Don't have to fast six times. He's with us. Amen? That's how it works. God, Jesus opened a God with us era. That is what's so radically different about the new covenant and about the gospel and about how it is now. We don't need more religions and more books and more prophets. We've got Jesus, God with us. Amen? Amen. It's wonderful, wonderful good news. And you can know it this morning yourself. Heaven is not shut to you. You may feel that, but I tell you, heaven is not shut to you. God has spoken to you. You have not got to find your way to God God's got through to you his way. Amen? Amen. Oh, I don't know how far I... No, no, stop panicking. God has done it. Now, you've got to receive and believe what he said he's done. That he sent his son to die for you, to be your saviour. That he is God with you. That he has spoken through Jesus and says to you personally, I love you, I died for you, I want you as my child. I want you with me forever. Those are the words of the living God to you 
this morning, and they're writ large in Jesus Christ. They are, and you can read them for yourself. If you're very unfamiliar with the Bible, you will come across things like that as you grow to know it. But I can assure you, believe me, that's what God's Word to you is this morning. You can be my child. I want you in my family. I love you. I've paid a big price for you. Don't make it a waste, if I may put that words in. Come and receive Jesus as your Saviour and your Lord this morning. And when you do that, he will never leave you or forsake you. You're going to know him now, throughout life, and for eternity. So I'm going to actually going to read a little prayer. So let's stay seated for a moment, and then we'll have the band up. But let's, before we do that, let's just read this prayer. It won't take long. This is a prayer that was in a, I think it was J. John book, which I think very simply gives us the sort of thing we need to pray. Now, you can pray this with me this morning. If you do pray it and mean it, you say, well, I meant it, but I don't feel much. That's fine. Don't focus on your feeling. I would mostly focus on, do I really want to say this and do I mean it? Now, if you can pray this as I sort of read it through, then I want you to go afterwards to our Connect desk, which is over there with the green sort of wall bit, a little table, and someone there will give you a Why Jesus booklet. We're not going to jump all over you. We're just going to give you a Why Jesus booklet, which will give you an opportunity to read through a little more carefully what it means to be a Christian, and you can pray the prayer again. It'll be slightly different words, I think. Pray the prayer again that's in the back there. Just do it quietly and thoughtfully at home. If you want to follow it up, a good way would to be to come on one of our Alpha courses, and we've got one starting in January, so you can ask them when one is starting. But you don't have to come on an Alpha course to be a Christian. You can become a Christian by meaning the prayer this morning and then maybe take that away, think it over, and then talk to someone about it. All right? So that's what I want you to do. I'm now going to read the prayer. And if you want to pray it, just pray it quietly to yourself. This is what I would recommend you pray. And this is how you take with your faith hand the wonderful free gift that God's offering you of eternal life and hope for now and the future. Thank you, Lord God, for loving me. Thank you for loving me before I ever loved you. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for me. Thank you that I can get connected to you now because you are alive today. I admit that I've lived my life without you and have messed up. I ask for your total forgiveness and I commit myself to you. Help me, Lord, to submit my life to your teaching and direction from now on. I receive you into my life and I ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. Amen.